Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I'm not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who was babysat by nuns as a kid. And I still know nothing, but I'm getting there one episode at a time thanks to this guy. What are we talking about this week, Brian? Well, this week's topic was actually a suggestion from Mo. Oh, our good friend Mo. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, Mo. Mo suggested the Nicene Creed. Okay, I vaguely remember him mentioning this, but I still don't know what it is. Great, so it's technically the Niceno Constantinopolitan Creed, but that's a mouthful. That's so many words. <laughs> well, only two, but yeah. It's a lot of syllables, <laughs> correction. That's so many syllables. Basically, I've been holding out on you, and there's an easy answer, and we don't really need to go through all this podcast because there's a Cliff's Notes of Christianity. Really? The, the Nicene Creed is the Cliff Notes of Christianity. It's just the shorthand of, like, these are the things we believe, these are the things you have to do? Yeah, pretty much. That's so wild to me. How come more people don't talk about this? Uh, I mean, a lot of people say it in church every week. Wait, so it's short enough that you can just say it in church? Oh yeah, it's short enough that I'm going to read the whole thing to you at one point in this. Oh my goodness. That's one, my mind is blown. (laughs) But also, I feel like if it's short enough for you to just read on this podcast, then it is so Cliff's Notes, Cliff's Notes, that there's probably a lot of interpretation and mess happening here. Yeah, but also specific enough that it, like, started wars. Is this like the Constitution? Is this the Constitution of God? (laughs) Um, I guess? Except you, you're not supposed to amend it, but that's also kind of the reason for the wars. Exactly. <laughs> it's the Constitution. Uh, maybe. All right. Uh, so, a creed is just a statement of belief. Okay. Um, it comes from the Latin credo, meaning I believe, which is how most of them start. Sure. Um, it's also described as a symbol of faith, looking at the more, uh, the older meaning of the word symbol, which uh, was half of a broken object that you, you, when you put the parts together, it proved the bearer's identity. Okay, so... So basically a symbol of faith means that you're showing connections between the different members of the group. Great, so the connection is what makes us the religion. Exactly. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, this is what defines Christianity and why we all can call ourselves Christians. Is this symbol, and the symbol is the connection, and the connection is shown through the creed. Exactly. Great. I feel like I need a flowchart already. Oh, just like, there's even more things that you probably would prefer to have a flowchart later. (laughs) At some point, we're going to cover the walls of this pod loft in, like, stick-on giant sticky notes that I can write things on to try and wrap my head around it, but then it will look like we're trying to figure out a conspiracy theory in here. Also not super helpful for an audio format. Yeah, but it's really about me, right? (laughs) Sure. I'll take photos and I'll tweet them at School for Heathens. And then you guys can see my conspiracy theory flowcharts about how Christianity works, because that's going to happen one of these days. (laughs) So normally I start off talking about the biblical basis for the thing that we talk about. Yeah. But because this kind of covers everything that Jesus did and all of God... It's not, there's not really a, like, a specific biblical basis for it. So I'm just going to go through a little bit of the history to how we got to the creed. 
Great, because this isn't a thing. Is this document mentioned in the Bible, or is this a supplementary document? Supplementary. Okay. Not mentioned in the Bible. Interesting. All right, so how did it come to be then? Hit me with that history. Jesus started this whole new movement, and Paul kind of followed him along, and they were the beginning of it. Yes, but our good friend Paul. Our good friend Paul. We'll get we'll get to Paul. Who is Paul problematic? Finally, um, no, not really. Okay, we haven't we have yet to reach problematic Paul. Last week's episode promises that someday you will tell me why Paul is actually problematic and not just a good friend of the podcast. We'll so get there. I'm on the lookout. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like I'm not doing my duty if you love Paul. <laughs> um, so really, all I have to say about Paul is he. Died in 67Z. Okay. <laughs> He's not the most contemporary dude. Yeah, so Jesus died in about 30. Um, so basically that's just to say all of the people who knew firsthand what was going on were dead by the end of the first century. All right. And also at this time, people didn't really like Christians, so they had to keep a low profile. Like once we're headed into the second century. Jews considered them bad Jews for a long time. Okay. Because it was just a, a weird sect with this charismatic leader. So they were still in, like, weird cult in the desert lands at this point? Yeah, like, early on. And then it wasn't until, like, end of the second century that people started to see them as kind of their own thing. And not just a strange, bad Jewish outpost. Yeah. And then at the same time, Romans didn't like them either because Romans didn't like anybody who wouldn't worship the Roman gods and the emperor. Right. We're still in polytheism over in the Roman Empire. Yeah. Mostly the persecution of Christians started out as just local, but it stepped up over time until Diocletian started the Great Persecution, where he like really went after Christians in 303 CE. Okay. And the goal for that was just to wipe them all out. Basically, all this is to say it made it hard for there to be unity in the church because they couldn't openly express what what they were talking about and they didn't have the original leaders and they did they have any sort of central governing body at this point or were people practicing religion or practicing christianity rather however they saw sort of in secret in their own homes or in small groups it was kind of small groups um which is actually where we get things like the gospels because the they each have the name and it's not necessarily the person who wrote it is what they're named after. It's like the community that they started. um, And so they have different emphases based on where they are, what their social status is, their circumstances. So it's different interpretations of Christianity based on where you are. That makes a lot more sense. That these aren't the memoirs of the people who followed Jesus. They're the stories of the people who were directly affected by the people who followed Jesus. Well, there are some people who will tell you, yes, this is the first-hand account. Okay. Um, but... All right. We'll yeah. let people have their feelings about that. <laughs> you seem to have a very specific feeling, and so we're going to go with that for now. My feeling is a little more historical than some people. <laughs> and I am a studier of history and thus <laughs> totally support your more historical bent on the source of the Gospels. I like your style. That's why you and I are the ones doing this podcast. Yeah. And if you don't like us, I guess you can send an email. <laughs> Sunday school for Ethan's at gmail.com. <laughs> so anyway, all of this started to change when Constantine came to power in 312. Is this where we start to split? 
Nope, this is er- this is earlier. Way, way before that, right? Yeah, Constantine. Constantine had a vision telling him that if he painted the symbol of Christ on the shields of his army, he would have the power of of the God of the Christians on his side, and he would win. But he was still polytheistic at this point. Basically, until this moment, yes. So he worships the old Roman gods, and he's the emperor, and then he has... He wasn't the emperor at this point. Okay, so he's not the emperor yet, but he's a Roman guy, practicing Roman religion, and then he has a dream... He has this vision that... A vision. That he... I get a dream, whatever. Okay. A, A dream, vision, sure. But being... Basically saying, convert to Christianity. Yeah, basically saying, like, this god is powerful. He'll help you win battles. Now, do we know, and this might be a question that history hasn't doesn't have an answer for, had Constantine been exposed to practicing Christians at this point? Did he know practicing Christians? Uh, I think so, okay. yes. I think he at least had heard of them. I don't know that he was, like, friends with them. Okay. But there might have been some living in wherever he was living. Prob- like, nearby, um, okay. probably. Um, so, a little bit of fun here, some uh, Greek letters. I'm ready. The, the original symbol that uh, Constantine was told to put on the uh, shields was the Cairo, which is a P with an X at the bottom of it. Cool. And that was the because it's the first two Greek letters of the word uh, Christos, so the Christ. That makes sense. And that was used before the cross was. Oh, cool. So the cross had not become the symbol of Christianity yet. Yeah, because people were still being crucified. Oof. Yeah, you don't want <laughs> that to be the association then. So it's like having like a little electric chair necklace. Awkward. I'm sure weird. there are people who have electric <laughs> chair necklaces. And whoever you are, uh, let's hang out. Um, Maybe I not. won't come to that, but okay. <laughs> So, anyway, it worked. Constantine won the battle. He was down with the Christians. He converted. Okay. Um, and then he became a co-emperor with a guy named Licinius, and they issued the Edict of Toleration, and then the Edict of Milan. The first one stopped persecution of the Christians, and the second one gave them their rights and property back. Okay. And Ly- Licinius, whatever his name is, Lysol... Um, Lysol? <laughs> that's what it made me think of. Um, Licinius was also had converted to Christianity? Um, at least cool with Christians. I don't okay. know if he was as into it as Constantine was, because man, Constantine <laughs> got into it. I fully believe it. Um, so first they stop the persecution of the Christians, then they give the Christians their property and their money back? Yeah. And their rights. Oh, and their um, rights. Those are also important. Yeah. And so this meant that people could start talking more openly about Christianity. So then more people are converting to Christianity because of that? Yeah, more people are converting. Eventually, Constantine makes uh, Christianity the state religion a little bit further down the line. But yeah, so basically he he helps it become more open, more popular. But you know what happens when people can freely discuss ideas of Christianity? Things change. Heresy. Ooh, heretics. This is where we start to just everyone is a heretic for some reason. Great. (laughs) Now, are the day-to-day Christians who are now openly able to talk about their faith the ones declaring people heretics left and right? Is Constantine declaring heretics? Is everybody declaring heretics? I've got questions about heresy. I feel like it's mostly bishops point back and forth fingers at each other. How did we get bishops? 
I mean, it had happened. Like, so these local churches, they became more codified. Okay, so you're allowed to practice your religion, which means now these religions sort of come out from whatever basements they've secretly been practicing, and the leaders of those small community groups now get codified into some sort of more formal structure? Yeah, kind of. I mean, technically, all the bishops should have been appointed by the whoever the Pope was at the time. I do not know who the Pope was at the time, I'm sorry. <laughs> but who was the first Pope? The first Pope was Peter. Okay. Because Jesus told him, upon this rock, I will build my church. And it was like, you're you're the rock, Peter. But were there consistent popes from Peter all the way through Constantine and beyond? Uh, Constantine was not a pope. Yes, but like uh, <laughs> the era of Constantine and beyond? Yes. Technically, yes. I don't know the history of like the very, very early church. I believe that there were there was an unbroken line of apostolic succession is what they say. Okay. So somewhere they were, even when you couldn't openly practice Christianity, Christians were still gathering and communicating with each other across whatever part of the world they were in enough to elect a pope. Well, to have bishops and or, then theoretically cardinals yeah. and yes. enough hierarchy that they could pick one guy to run their church. Yeah, and, but I have no idea like how formal any of this all was, because I mean, it was very early on in the church. Okay, so popes didn't start happening when Rome happened. Popes had already been a thing. Yes. That makes more sense to me. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So now we've got uh, Constantine consolidating power. He's the leader of the Roman Empire. Bishops are declaring heretics. Bishops are declaring heretics, yes. The heresy that I wanted to talk about was Arianism. Uh, there was this guy, Arius. He was a priest in Alexandria. Okay. And he was preaching that Jesus was not God and was just a servant of God. Wow. that He got fringy fast. Like, that's also closer to the time when Jesus was a guy. So maybe... Maybe he was just a realist? Maybe easier to believe that Jesus was just a guy? I don't know. Uh, Fair. He based this on the fact that Jesus was mo- more emotional than God, which I don't know if I agree with. I mean, I have <laughs> not read the Bible, but my understanding is that God does some pretty driven by feelingsy things at points. Those are my feelings, but that's his ar- that's his argument. And he also said that Jesus learned things, and God is constant and God doesn't learn. And that Jesus died. He also said that the second century theologian Origen said that God the Father deserved more glory than the Son. So he was basing his writings off of the earlier ones. Okay. Side note, Origen, wild and might be a future podcast subject. I look forward to it. But anyway, on the other side of this argument was Bishop Alexander, the Bishop of Alexandria. God. (laughs) Easy to keep track of people when they're all named after whatever place they live. Yeah. Coincidence, I think. But uh, I'm into it. Alexander said, ah, but if Origen said God is eternally a father, then he must have eternally had a son. And if God is perfect and does not change, how can he go from not being a father to being a father? So Jesus must have always been around and must therefore be divine. So he logicked him. Yeah, that was that was the other side of this argument. But these two were... We're fighting back and forth. What's the guy's name? Not Origen, the guy who's quoting Origen? Arius. Arius. All right. So Arius has been logicked by Bishop Alexander. Yeah. So this fighting's going on, and Constantine by now has become the emperor, so he has time to deal with this kind of stuff. Great. Because <laughs> he has delegated. So he 
called for the Council of Nicaea uh, in uh, 325 CE. Is Nicaea a place? Nicaea is a place. Great. Do we know where it is still? We do. I didn't look it up. I'm sorry. (laughs) I just know that sometimes we don't know where the places are anymore, so I wanted to check. I think that was like a weird, unique case with Cana. (laughs) But out of this council came the Nicene Creed. It basically struck the balance between Jesus being divine, but it also said that Christians only have one God, which is a hard thing to express. Okay, so ancient Nicaea was in Turkey. I just Googled it. Oh, great. Thank you, Google. Awesome. So go back. What was the overall thesis of the Council of Nicaea? So they got the, the creed yes. is what they got from it. And it the goal was to strike the balance between Jesus being divine, but also saying that Christians only have one God. Great. So we're solidly monotheistic, but also there was this other guy who was definitely divine, but he's not his own God. Yes. And then we have a second council, the Council of Constantinople, in 381, and that expanded this creed, and also said, there's this third guy, the Holy Spirit, but still we only have one God. One God, and now we found Trinity. Yes. Trinity happens in Constantinople. I mean, the idea had existed before, but this is where it got put into the creed. We wrote it down, we made it official, we said it out loud, and now it's real. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it, it addressed the heresies that came up between Nicaea and this new council. Awesome. So, basically, that's how we got the creed, or at least how we believed we got it until the 20th century. Great. (laughs) But now there's more evidence, and scholars think that the creed we have now was either created at the Council of Constantinople based on an existing baptismal creed, but not based on the document from Nicaea, Or others think it was created at the Second Ecumenical Council in 381, but up for debate. Okay. The earliest evidence we have for the creed doesn't come until 451 at the Council of uh, Chalcedon. Okay. So that's the first time anyone steps up in front of people and says it out loud? Yeah, I think that's like, that's the earliest remaining writing that we have of it. Okay. So there's records from these earlier councils that say, we came up with a creed. But not necessarily, this is what the creed is. Or it's uh, records from later councils that say, we did this at this council. Great. It's like going over the minutes from last time, la- the previous meeting at the beginning of the first meeting. Yeah, basically. And that's why we do that now? M- maybe. <laughs> to the delight of historians in many, many years down the road. Yeah, it, I mean, it would help a lot if we had better uh, record keeping and it wasn't all on dissolving papyrus. I mean, that's true about a lot of things. That's world history in a sentence. Yeah. So here we are at the creed. Great. Read me a creed. I'm going to read you the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. 
We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And that's it. That is all of Christianity. That's very concise, but also very detailed. You're mm-hmm. right. It covers a lot. I think they did a pretty good job. They did a pretty good job. The beginning is a little flowery. I mean, yes. The whole thing is... So, <laughs> this is the version that we read at my church, but because it's a translation from originally Greek, then Latin, there's lots of different versions of it. Okay. How many of them rhyme? I don't think any. <laughs> Somebody's got to remember what that rhymes. I, <laughs> I don't, I, I, there are versions in song. Somebody find me a rhyming version of the Nicene Creed. I, <laughs> I would not even have considered that. That's what I want. I want rhyming. I'm very thrown by that. Uh, so this is the basic statement of faith for, uh, Catholics, Orthodox Christians, and mainline Protestants. Okay, so the mainline Protestants have held on to this creed. Yeah, generally. Cool. My understanding of what makes Protestants Protestants does not have to do with disagreements about any of the statements that are made in that creed. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense. So basically, um, we talked about how different people could get different baptisms from different types of Christians. Basically, anybody who agrees on this creed, they all share the same baptism. Great. That makes sense. That being said, Jehovah's Witnesses, the LDS Church, and the Church of New Jerusalem explicitly reject parts of this. Only parts, though? I mean, I think there's probably a couple lines in there that they're like, yeah, fine. Sure, whatever. (laughs) All right, so Jehovah's Witnesses, the LDS, and what was the third one? Church of New Jerusalem. Interesting. I don't know if I've ever heard of them. Uh, They're also called the Swedenborgians, if you've heard that. Oh, yes, that I have heard of. Which is also just fun to say. It is very fun to say Swedenborgians, <laughs> Borgians. Okay, but they also reject the Nicene Creed. Yeah. Or at least parts of it. Yeah. Uh, they just have different views on the Trinity, basically. Okay. That makes sense. So you might have noticed there the word Catholic is in here. It's true. It does say that, doesn't it? But, semantics. It's a lowercase c Catholic. Ooh, and so that's why the mainline Protestants kept it. Because lowercase c Catholic just means universal. It doesn't mean the denomination. That's so cute. <laughs> I find that charming. Also, I didn't know that Catholic meant universal until right now. Yeah, fun fact. So that's a great fun fact. I'm into it. And then apostolic just means led by the Pope? From the apostles. From the apostles. Great. That makes more sense if the Protestants are into it too. So, universal and from the apostles. Yep. We that's, got it. That's what we, that's what we But in the big fancy words. Exactly. And so it actually got to be bigger and fancier words for the Catholics more recently. So I don't know if you have noticed that Catholics have stopped saying, and also with you, and they've started saying, with and with your spirit. The only reason I know that's true is because you have told me in social situations around other Catholics. Okay. <laughs> but I wouldn't have noticed that because I've never been to Catholic Mass. Fair enough. But uh, let's go back. So it used to be, what was the old thing you used to say? Uh, we used to say, uh, and also with you, it's, but that's basically what, what I'm getting at is there was a change made in 2010 by the U.S. Catholic bishops, and then it was approved by the Vatican, and they changed a bunch of things in the mass that Catholics say, and one of the changes they made was to the English translation of the creed. 
Okay. They changed it to a more literal translation. This was based on instruction from the Pope called Liturgium Authenticum. All right. Who was Pope in 2010? Benedict? The instruction came out in 2001, so that would have been still JP2. Okay, right. But in 2010, it was Benedict, and he was all for this because it's a more conservative thing. Okay, so they switched to a... A more literal? literal translation. As opposed to after Vatican II, the idea was uh, dynamic equivalence, which was going for big ideas and trying to get it to be... More universal? Easily understood and readable in your language. Was Vatican II 1910? No, that was it was in the 60s. Okay, because lots of changes happened in 1910, and I wasn't sure... If, and I know lots of changes happened in Vatican II, and I can't remember... wasn't sure if those were the same sweeping round of edits or not. No, those are different... Okay. Different rounds of changes. Correct. So, in the 60s, we went to bigger concepts, more people can understand because it's easier to understand. Yeah. And then in 2010, we went to more literal, straightforward, but also probably a little more conservative. Yeah. So, the version I read is the older one. I said, one in being with the father, they changed it to consubstantial with the father. Ugh. I don't like any of this. (laughs) It affects my life in no way, and I really just don't like that anyone is saying consubstantial that often. It's kind of a fun word to say. (laughs) I feel like the risk you have of saying it wrong is so high that it would stress you out. Um, I don't know. You get used to it. I suppose. Uh, They also changed from we to I, which I don't know enough about the ancient Greek to know why that change was made, but it was, and people were kind of mad about that one. Okay. The, the other big controversy on the creed is, have you heard of the filioque clause? No. Okay, so it's... It, I can't even pronounce filioque. There you did. I don't even... I'm not certain I'm pronouncing it right. I'm trying my best. Somebody send us an email. It's Well, I asked, but it's it's Latin. Great. Um, so it's Latin for and the son. So there's that line about the Holy Spirit. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Yes, I do remember that. In the original, it was just and the Father. Okay. And so the and the Son was added, and that's the filioque clause. Okay, and what was the justification of that? It So it was added in the 6th century, and it was basically added to try to link the different people in the Trinity more. And this is why I said flowcharts were helpful. So we were trying to add the, like, we were trying to make the third line that closes off the triangle. Pretty much. Yeah, it's, and there's debate about whether the spirit should only be coming from God and the son and the spirit both come down from God, or if they're all three of them linked. And that's the big... What shape is this not triangle? Yeah. That's the big debate here. Uh, and is spirit theoretically the lines that make up the shape that is probably not a shape? Maybe. Okay. There's Honestly, there's no way to talk about the Trinity without committing heresy. <laughs> Great. If we ever make shirts, <laughs> that's what they're going to say. On. <laughs> Great. So the other big reason that, that people didn't like this is because they added a thing to the creed. And people didn't like that you added a thing. Adding is weird. But so there was no mention of that in the Greek. That was a thing that in the 6th century they realized they needed clarification on. Yeah, they added this to the Latin. Well, not the the Greek. Correct. Because it was originally Greek. All right. Um, And this was one of the big things in the East-West Schism. 
Ooh. Like, like this is, like, one of the, like, irreconcilable differences between the Eastern and the Western Do the churches. Orthodox not say hands of the sun? They do not. Ooh. When they say the creed, they leave out that bit. That's so weird. Yeah, it's, so that's, like, three three little words or one word in Latin, and it's a huge debate that literally, like, wars fought over. Wow. Crazy down. You guys and your words. Yeah, I... I'm using the general neutral form of kinds, <laughs> by the way. Um, and I could get way more into the filioque clause, but that would be a whole other episode. We'll add it to the list. It might happen. Great. Um, so kind of the last thing I have is I talked about the Nicene Creed. There's also another creed. It's the Apostles' Creed. Theoretically written by the 12 apostles, each apostle wrote one article. So there are 12 articles. Okay. So it's a longer creed. Uh, no, shorter. Okay. These clauses are, they're short. They're They're like like a a couple sentences. Great. That makes more sense. It's used mostly by Catholics, uh, less so by Protestants, um, not at all by Orthodox. What does it say? What is the gist of it? Kind of the same idea, just shorter. Okay. Um, The earliest mention of it is uh, 390 CE at a synod in Milan. It essentially does the same thing, but it's just another one that people have heard of, and that's what it is. That's how it compares. Okay. Cool. All right, and that is what I have for you on the Nicene Creed. Awesome. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll do some patronage pop quiz. All right, Brian. So I think it's time for the patronage pop quiz. It is. Time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they're the patron of. I'm very bad at this. <laughs> I don't think I've gotten a single one right. I think you got one. Maybe. I think we've given me a couple because they made more sense than the things they're actually saints of. But I'm very low on the number of actually correct ones I've gotten. Fair. So this week I decided to go a little thematic. We just had a snowstorm here in Chicago at, right the day before recording this. Uh, so I'm picking a snow-themed saint. Ooh, there are snow-themed saints? There are. At is least it, this one. Is it going to give me a hint about what they're the patron of? It could. Interesting. I'll keep that in mind. So our saint this week is Eulalia of Merida. She was born in Spain at the end of the 3rd century to a prominent family. She was known as a holy child who rejected all of the benefits of her family's wealth, and she became a consecrated virgin. At the age of 12, she heard about the edicts of Emperor Diocletian, requiring all subjects to worship the Roman gods. She took this as a challenge and decided that she wanted to be martyred because of it. Wow. How old was she? 12. Whoa, this child. Her mom noticed this and took her away to the countryside to stop her. But she ran away. She presented herself before one of the judges and she yelled at him for forcing people to worship false gods. At first, he was amused, and he tried to flatter her, but she would not deny Christ, and she trampled on the cake that was supposed to be a sacrifice for a Roman god. Wow. So he decided to torture her. He ordered her body to be torn by iron hooks. Fire was applied to the wounds to make the torture more painful. In the process of this, her hair caught fire, and she died from asphyxiation from the smoke and flames. When she died, it said that a dove came out of her mouth and flew away, terrifying the executioners. 
After they ran away, snow began to fall, covering her body and protecting her modesty. Later, when her ashes were dumped in a field, snow fell again to create a burial pall. Wow. Snow falling in Spain? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are places in Spain that sensibly get snow. I mean, at least twice. It happened twice to her. At least it happened twice to her. Okay. What is her name again? Eulalia. Eulalia. What is she the patron of, Shannon? Oof. Is she the patron saint of martyrs? Do no. they have a saint, a patron? I'm sure they do. Probably. Uh, is she the patron saint of really precocious children? No. <laughs> She has a very short list. Uh, her list is runaways. Okay. Torture victims. I thought about that and then thought there was no way there was a patron saint of torture victims. There's a patron for most things. Okay. Uh, for some reason, widows. I don't understand that one. That doesn't make any sense to me. And inclement weather. Okay, great. That also would make sense. But I figured she wasn't the patron saint of snow. <laughs> and I wasn't sure... How broad you needed to go before you got a patron saint? I think you could probably call her the patron saint of snow. Sure. I'm sure somebody who knows as much about weird saints as you do would understand what I meant. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That is great. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, if you could go on iTunes and subscribe or on whatever other podcast app you use. If you could write us a review on iTunes or give us a rating, all of those things would be super A+. Uh, Also, special thanks again to Mo for the topic suggestion. If any of you out there have topic suggestions, shoot them our way. I would love to hear them. Yeah, you can send those suggestions either to our Twitter, at school number four heathens, or you can email them to us at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. If you want to email us about any other thoughts you had about this episode, we'd love to hear them. And maybe we'll even read an email on the show one of these days. Our theme song is by Adam Griffin. You can check him out at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. Our logo and our editing are done by David Griffin because, well, we really like the Griffin Brothers. What can we say? I think that's it. Amen? Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod.